we are starting a new series called Dangerous Faith. It's based in the book of Acts in the New Testament of the Bible. The book of Acts is the story of what happened to Jesus' disciples after he had ascended and gone. It's a dramatic narrative. It's written by Luke, effectively the second part of Luke's gospel. The first half is the account of life of Jesus, as we read in its gospel. The second half is the account of the start of the church. And it starts off in chapter one, verse eight, with this uh, verse where Jesus is saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's kind of in the opening chapter. And through the rest of the book, Luke, Luke is basically telling the story of how it was that this promise was fulfilled over the next few decades. It starts with the disciples waiting in Jerusalem. It describes how the Holy Spirit fell on them powerfully at Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday. And then how they stepped out with boldness to continue the ministry which Jesus had taught them. How they preached the gospel, how they witnessed countless miracles, healings and salvations. How many people turned to believing in Jesus. How the numbers of followers of Jesus consistently grew day by day by day and as the new believers started to come under persecution how the church scattered and spread from Jerusalem out to towns and cities further afield effectively going into hiding or lockdown to continue their faith and all the time led by the spirit seeing more people believe in and follow Jesus it's the story of incredible growth but along with all the excitement and the tremendous miracles Acts is also a story of the persecution and suffering of the church of people being mistreated, abused and beaten up and even killed because of their beliefs. And so as part of this series, we're going to be thinking about our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are suffering today because of their Christian faith. We're going to be using some material from Open Doors. They're an incredible organisation who support persecuted Christians in over 60 countries. We're going to be hearing stories, inspiring stories of courageous faith. And each week we're going to show a video as part of our talk and then follow up further uh, with opportunities for discussion and prayer through life groups, which will start this week. Now, I know that since going online, we've had a whole lo load of people watching our services and taking part who wouldn't perhaps normally have come to a church service in our building before. And if that's you, I just want to say thanks for watching and you're really, really welcome. I don't know if you call yourself a Christian. I don't know if you've read the Bible particularly, um, but if you haven't, then you're particularly welcome. And I really hope that you find this talk helpful in some way, I guess. One of the key questions that you might want to be asking yourself is, is this, you know, what is it about this Christian faith that means that people are prepared to suffer for it and even to die for it? There must be something about this. And if that's something that you're exploring or investigating, well, I hope this is helpful for you. And actually, I hope we can start answering some of those questions. And you might want to join us on the Facebook Q&A live that Joe and I are going to host after this service. Anyway, to kick things off, I want to read you a short story about a man called Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew started the organisation Open Doors. He was a young Dutch missionary who, back in the 1950s, um, started to travel abroad um, to secular communist countries where they weren't allowed to believe in Jesus. They weren't allowed to even possess uh, Bibles. Um, and what he used to do is he used to travel and smuggle Bibles to Christians who were in these countries, who weren't allowed to access them in any other way. He risked his life countless times to visit and encourage believers who were in mainly Eastern Bloc countries beyond the Iron Curtain and who were living out their faith in secret, to some extent in fear of the regimes of their countries. Well, Brother Andrew has an incredible story and he wrote a brilliant book called God's Smuggler about the whole thing. But let me read you by way of introduction uh, a story that one of his colleagues um, tells. Once when visiting Indonesia with Brother Andrew, a group of Christian leaders came to meet with us from a big city in Java. They were full of excitement. Andrew, they said, we are living in the book of Acts. 
We've seen growth and angels. We've seen healings and miracles and amazing conversions. Come, they said, and walk onto the pages of the book of Acts. Andrew said, oh, the book of Acts is it? Okay, then please will you take me to see your persecution? Persecution, they said. We don't have any. We're doing so much good here. Everyone loves us. To which Andrew shook his head and said, well, you can't be living in the book of Acts. The book of Acts has some wonderful stories in it, but as I said, it also has a dark side. One of the main protagonists is the Apostle Paul, initially a persecutor of Christians, and then he was converted to Christianity and consequently became a persecuted Christian. We read that through his journeys, Paul was stoned, mobbed, put in jail, abused, nearly killed, narrowly escapes a lynching, survives an assassination plot. And then for the last third of the book, he's taken prisoner and ultimately put under house arrest. Now, I'm not suggesting that what we are experiencing in our lockdown situation is the same as the very real persecution that many people across our world are experiencing today in different countries. I'm not trying to make that comparison, but I do believe that we here and now have some things to learn from them and ultimately from this book as we look at this story through the lens of persecution. And so our reading today actually comes from the last few verses of the book of Acts. It's from Acts chapter 28 and we're going to read from 23 to 31. We're starting at the end of the story. Don't worry, we will be going back to the beginning next week and then working our way through. But for today, Jenny is just going to read us the last few verses of this book. And just by way of context, um, to set this up, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He basically ends up living there for about two years. He writes the letters that we know while he's there. And he's meeting people and he's preaching and ministering, but he's doing it all from lockdown. He's in his house, basically, just not allowed out, waiting for his showdown meeting with the emperor, Caesar. This passage describes the kind of conversations that Paul is having in his house in Rome. He invites local Jewish leaders in because they want to find out more about Christianity. It says in verse 22, they said, we want to hear what your views are, Paul, because we know that everywhere people are talking against this sect. That's Christianity they're referring to. And so that's how this passage is set up. And I'm going to hand over to Jenny, who's going to read for us from Acts 28, 23 to 31. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thank you, Jenny. So we're going to watch a short video from Open Doors. It's around nine minutes long. And then I'm going to just make some brief comments afterwards. And as I said, there'll be further conversation and response in life groups this week. And in fact, there's a discussion guide that anyone can download, which we've linked to in our ePress, and your life group leader will also be able to signpost you to. But let me just introduce this video and this speaker who's called Ronald Boyd McMillan. Now, Ron has spent 30 years of his life traveling among persecuted Christians on five different continents. He's been a Bible smuggler in Cold War Eastern Europe, a pastor in England, a journalist in Hong Kong, a trainer of underground preachers in China. Ron is a great person to be leading us through this series. And here he is speaking about this passage in our first video, which is called, And His Door Was Always Open. There comes a point in every Christian's life where we get into situations wondering whether God's given up on us. Maybe it just feels like he's not using us as he should. You can't help this little voice bubbling up. You know, has God still got the same use for me? And it seems like we're drifting when we really want to be conquering. Well, maybe the book of Acts can help us with this, especially its intriguing ending. That the key to joy might lie in looking just as much at where we are as at what we are doing. In the message translation, the last line is, and his door was always open. That's the final image of the book of Acts. It's people coming in and out when Paul is under house arrest. Samuel Goldwyn once said uh, to his scriptwriters, dart with an earthquake and build to a climax. And certainly look, started right. You, know, you get Pentecost, tongues of fire coming down on the people, speaking languages they never knew, and they're turned into lions where they were mice before. And then, of course, the story builds after that. Uh, you get healings, you get confrontation with the, the Jewish authorities, then you get the persecution spreading people out. Paul becomes converted and uh, he begins to travel. And so it's building and building, and Paul even gets to the, the greatest intellectual forum in the world, the Areopagus in Athens. And then, suddenly, the story takes another twist. Paul goes back to Jerusalem, he gets arrested, and to escape a mob that would lynch him, he uses his Roman citizenship to say, I want to go to Caesar and have my case held in front of him. And so for the rest of the book, he's traveling to Rome as a prisoner. You would think, well, aren't we heading now for the climax? The world's most amazing missionary is going to meet the world's most powerful man on behalf of the world's most powerful God? You couldn't think that one up even in Hollywood. What would Paul say to Caesar? What would Caesar say to Paul? Would there be a miracle? Would there be a martyrdom? What a showdown. But Luke doesn't take us there. Luke gets him to Rome and he stops the book with Paul under house arrest and people just going in and out. And you could hear the Samuel Goldwins of the world saying, where's my climax? What happened? What did Paul say? What did Caesar say? Did the trial even happen? This is the Bible's most dramatic book, but it doesn't seem to have that dramatic an ending. And we're left with a very important question, why is this an ending to the book? I remember at seminary hearing a scholar tell us that actually Luke just ran out 
of space on the scroll. But surely there's more to it than that. Surely this is the way Luke meant it. Surely this is the way the Holy Spirit meant it. But it's still a very strange ending. Why is this the right ending to the book? And I think I, I got a little clue to it when I was traveling in China. I met this great leader there who uh, was an expert on the history of the Chinese church. And uh, everybody was going to China at that point and trying to find out why they had had such a huge revival. It's the largest scale revival in the history of the church. It grew from about less than a million before 49 and it's up to 85 million, probably more, today. And this man said, uh, he said, this is the story of the revival. Let me tell you, it's not about personalities. Think places, not people, he said. And he said, I think the story is how God brought the gospel to four locations. They all begin with C. The court, the compound, the church, and the kitchen. And his English, was rather rudimentary, and uh, yet there's great theology there. First it comes to the court, he means the emperor. But when the emperor cooled, the faith stalled. But something was left to build on. Then it came to the compound, he means the missionary compound in the 19th century when all the Protestant missionaries came. And they pushed deep into the interior and they had to build compounds for themselves. And they've made a few converts and the converts roughly stayed in the, in the compound. But it's very difficult to have a really Chinese church in a Western compound. Still, something was left to build on. Then the gospel comes to the church and the missionaries make enough converts. They build some small rudimentary churches. Some of them are actually quite large and they're filled. But even so, uh, by the time Mao takes power in 49, you couldn't say Christianity had grown that much or was that impressive. In fact, there was a famous novelist called Pearl Buck who said, Christianity has left no more impact on China than a finger drawn through water. Still, something was left to build on. And then finally, it comes to the kitchen. And what he means is that in the terrible time of the Cultural Revolution between 66 and 76, when the communists really unleashed a very severe persecution on the church. The Bibles were burned, pastors imprisoned, and churches were all closed. People had to go, the Christians that were left, had to go into the home, and they got together in the home. They whispered the hymns, they passed around fragments of scripture. It was very dangerous. But that's really where the faith became really Chinese, and it embedded in the family for the first time in hundreds of years. And when it becomes part of the family, it becomes part of the fabric of Chinese society. And so he said that was the key to the revival. And so from that crucible of persecution, when the faith went into the home, out came this huge revival. So he said, think places, not people. And that's a great principle. And I thought, hmm, wonder if I should take that to the book of Acts. One of the key verses, obviously, of the book of Acts is always Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will fall upon you, and uh, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's a kind of geographic plot laid out, even uh, in the first chapter. The book of Acts is all about how the Holy Spirit get the gospel out from a cultural backwater 
like Palestine and Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth. I think we could see the whole book of Acts through four locations, Jerusalem, Samaria, Antioch, and Rome. And each city is like a concentric circle as the gospel spreads out. Jerusalem at first, the Jews really get the message. Samaria, the half-Jews, the Samaritans, also get the message. Antioch, everybody in the Gentile world is starting to get it too. And then finally Rome, where if it gets to Rome, it gets everywhere. There was a saying at the time that said all roads lead to and from Rome. It was the center of the world. Everybody's going to Rome and coming from Rome. When Paul gets to Rome and sits in house arrest, the world is coming to him, all the Christians are coming to him, he's explaining the gospel and out they go. That's it, that's the gospel going to the ends of the earth. If you look at the geography, it's mission accomplished. Don't need the courtroom scene. Don't need the big confrontation with Caesar if it ever happens. It's not important, it doesn't matter because it's not about the personalities, it's about the places and it's about what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Spirit's the hero of the book. This is what I, I, I love about the ending because there are times when I feel trapped. I'm not using my gifts as I should, or so I say to God. And I think, well, I'm sure Paul felt the same. Paul was stuck in a house, chained to a Roman soldier 24 seven. And this is a man who always wanted to be on the edges of the earth, spreading the gospel, couldn't do it. And yet, actually, that's the climax. That's the gospel going absolutely everywhere because of where he's sitting. Paul was really being the ultimate missionary in more ways than he knew. I haven't experienced a Pentecost. I haven't seen an ascension. I haven't seen a resurrection. But I know that I've sat on a sofa and I've talked to people and that person has gone out and done something with those words because I believe in faith that every time you share something in love from the scripture, it is eternal in its effects. So this is a great comfort. This is how it works. So here's the great encouragement from this amazing book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is always active to get the gospel out to the world through us in more ways than we will ever be aware. Because even if we're not able to do something we can always be somewhere. Wow, I hope you found that as moving as I did. I don't think I've ever seriously read the stories in the book of Acts before through this lens of persecution. I hope that you can see some of the parallels between the first followers of Jesus and those today who are suffering because of their faith. And as I said at the beginning, although it's not the same for us, I do think that there are some parallels that we can draw with our own current situation in lockdown. So let me just remind you what we're aiming for out of this series. We've got three reasons really that we want to do this. The first one is that we want to better understand the Bible and the context it was written in. The second is that we want to better understand and empathise with and support and pray for our Christian brothers and sisters who are experiencing very real persecution firsthand in many countries today. And thirdly, for ourselves, this is an opportunity to grow in our faith. We wanna take the Bible and we wanna apply it to ourselves and we wanna be encouraged 
that when things are challenging, as they are for many of us right now, not only is God present and with us in the struggle, but actually by his spirit, he's very much at work in and through us. So I just want to highlight a couple of things Ron said and add a couple of my own reflections and give you some questions to take away and ponder on for yourselves. And the first point I want to make is this. It's the spirit that drives the gospel to different places. And we are in places and they're places that God wants to reach. You know, Ron said it's the Holy Spirit who is the hero of Acts, not any one person. And that the mission of God is much more about places than it is about people. And you can see from this slide how, as Ron described, Acts tells how the gospel grew and spread out in concentric circles from the city of Jerusalem through the region of Samaria and then further afield to Antioch, which became the new sending base from which finally Paul ended up in Rome, the centre of their world, mission accomplished. And this principle is well worth reflecting on, that the mission of God is more about places than about people. And in our Western culture, well, we do love to focus on a personality, don't we? And even in our churches, there's often a tendency to disproportionately elevate certain leaders who are obviously gifted or anointed. But God can always find someone else to do the job if he needs something done. And the Chinese church during the Cultural Revolution was by far the fastest growing Christian movement in the 20th century. And as Ron showed, although some key leaders and missionaries had been involved initially, it wasn't until it was pushed out of the public sphere and behind the doors of homes and families that authentic Christian faith actually began to bed in and grow. You see, when the church is pushed behind closed doors, then the spirit is able to work in a way that he wasn't able to do before. He's kind of freer. It's counterintuitive, I know, but that's what experience has told us. When we can't rely on our regular worship gatherings or the consistent comforting hugs of our church friends, we're kind of forced to turn to the Holy Spirit for our help, for our comfort, for our guidance, for our peace. And for many of us, that's more of a challenge than we might have first imagined. You know, it reminds me of that old um, Joni Mitchell song. You know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. To an extent, that's clear to us in lockdown. You know, Winchester Vineyard Church is no longer just an old bus garage in Bar End where we show up on a Sunday morning to worship and see our friends and enjoy someone else's coffee and someone else leaving the ministry. Now, look, I know it's never really been just that, but it's become really, really clear now, isn't it? that our church, Winchester Vineyard, is existing in every single one of our homes. Winchester Vineyard Church exists where one or more of us are worshipping, where we're reading the Bible, where we're praying together, where we're experiencing God's power and presence for ourselves, where those of us with families are leading and modelling worship to them, where all of us are directing our own ministry times and responding to the Holy Spirit as he leads us. You know, if 120 or so households are tuning into our live feed, that tells me that we have roughly 120 little churches spread right over Winchester, Hampshire, further afield, wherever you're watching from. That there are 120 or so places where God is at work this morning and where we are invited to participate. 120 places where the spirit is the hero and not the people. Now, I know that God is at work and that discipleship is happening on a daily basis in lockdown as we make positive choices and turn to him even now in the middle of all kinds of emotions. Now more than ever before is when we can find out how strong our faith is. This is where the Holy Spirit is. This here in our homes is where disciples are growing and reaching out. And, you know, we've tried every week as best we can to celebrate and to share the stories that we're hearing. But I know there are loads more. And I know that we're not all extroverts. And even if you're not the kind of person that would deliver chocolates to your whole street or strike up conversations with just anyone you can bump into. I know that even just sharing the simplest act of kindness doing someone's shopping, taking time to smile at, listen to or encourage just even one other person 
is a massive and profound act of faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is at work when that's going on. We can't do everything. But the most important thing is that we do what Jesus said, which is I look and see what the Father is doing. And then I join in with that. And so I would encourage us, church, to ask the Holy Spirit to show us and to take some time to listen. What is, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my house, in my street? And how can I join in? Now, we don't know when we're going to be able to gather again in a large room. We hope it's not too far away because we miss you guys and we miss being together. And we know that something special happens when we all lift our voices in worship. But realistically, I honestly can't see it being for some months yet. And so for the time being, the church is where we are in lockdown, in each of our homes, in each of our places. And, you know, as lockdown begins to lift, some of us might be able to mingle a bit more. We don't yet know what church looks like then. But we do know that it's probably likely to be small and localised, which is how it was for church in the New Testament, for the believers there. And it's probably how it is for most of our brothers and sisters currently in persecution. And later in this series, we're going to hear from Paul and Katie, who have first-hand experience of living and working among believers in places like this. So we can look forward to that. And my only other point I want to make this morning is this one, that we all have a part to play, even if we might feel restricted or trapped in our current circumstances. You know, Ron talked about how it might have been easy for Paul to have felt somewhat useless in Rome, you know, under house arrest, not able to travel, restricted in movement. And yet he was able just to get on with doing what he could, which for him included welcoming people into his house and speaking with them in ones and twos and small groups about God. His door was always open. And like the Apostle Paul, we have an opportunity to share with and encourage people during lockdown. We don't just have kind words, although they're important, we have God's words. We can share his kindness, but we can also share his truth and his encouragement from the Bible. There's so much in there, simple verses of wisdom and comfort, not to bash people over the head with, but to humbly offer and then maybe even to pray through, either with the person there and then or afterwards. I'm encouraged by the verse in Isaiah 55 that says, my word goes out from my mouth and it does not return to me empty, or some translations say it does not come back void. Every time we share something of God's word in any way, even if it's in, even in its simplest and most basic form, it will make a difference in someone's life. We have so many opportunities to bring God's words to bear. And in lockdown, as well as sharing his faith with people who came through his door for Paul, he was also writing letters to the churches which he'd been involved with establishing. Now, these documents were then copied and shared around the different communities of faith. They were read aloud in their gatherings for teaching and for encouragement. Those letters basically got copied and copied and shared and did the rounds for the growing churches for a couple of centuries until they were brought together in what we now know as the New Testament. Paul wrote them from Rome under house arrest. There's no way he could have known just what kind of an impact his writings were gonna have, that they would be read for generations and generations, that they would inspire and influence the church for 2000 years. And yet he wrote them because he couldn't go and visit. He was trapped under house arrest, couldn't travel, couldn't preach and teach. I really hope that I am as fruitful in lockdown as Paul was. So I just a little throw it out there as a question. Are there any projects that God is inviting us to get involved with in this season? Anything that we could create? Anything that he's inviting us to do? Maybe some of you can relate to that sense of being trapped or limited or unable to use your gifts because we don't not because we're not meeting on Sundays as we normally do. Maybe you're a musician who normally plays in a worship band at our church or you're part of the coffee team or the welcome team or the stewarding team that helps to sort of 
um, make Sundays hospitable and happen for people. Maybe you're in one of our wonderful kids and youth teams and you're unable to use your gifts in this season. Maybe you're one of the people who comes and cooks bacon for the rest of the teams on Sunday morning. We're missing you especially. But church is in our homes now. So why don't we ask the question, how is it that we could use those gifts in this season? What is the Holy Spirit now inviting us to do? You know, if you normally cook bacon on a Sunday morning, well, why don't you cook it for your neighbours? If you're on a kids team, then why not write some encouraging letters to the kids or youth who are in lockdown? If you're a musician, why not find ways to play music for people who need cheering up? Or if you're a welcome person, why not go chat to your neighbours and reach out to them? If you're in the stewarding team, you might want to go and set some cones up outside your house. I'm only joking about that. There is no need to feel trapped or helpless. If we can't do what we normally do, then the God who is infinitely creative will have other things that we can do instead. The Holy Spirit is really good at leading this. All we really need to do is stop and listen. So I just want to finish with a couple of questions that I'd like you to reflect on and to share with your friends. Maybe share the answers with your friends anyway. If you go on the coffee call after this, maybe you could share your thoughts about this with the people in your group. You don't have to, but you could. Maybe if you're in a life group, you could share your thoughts with your life group this week. And here are the questions that I'd love you to think about going away from this morning. The first one is very simple. What Bible verses are you turning to in this season for encouragement? Secondly, how easy are you finding it to connect with God for yourself in the middle of lockdown? And what could you do about it? And thirdly, how is the Holy Spirit directing you in this time? Now, the answers to those might not be obvious to start with. I'd encourage you to spend some time reflecting on and just inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you don't know where to start with the Bible verses, then can I suggest a couple of things you could do? If you literally would, don't know how to find um, you know, a Bible verse to look at in this season, maybe you're someone who hasn't read the Bible before, then uh, two things you could do. One is you could download the U Bible app or the U Version Bible app. Um, they have like a verse of the day. It's very simple. It'll just deliver you one verse each day to think on and reflect on. That's a really good place to start. One other thing is you could download this sheet that I'm going to put on our Facebook group. Um, it's called Foundational Truths, and it's just a whole series of Bible verses to read and reflect and meditate on. And that, again, is a really good place to start if you don't know where to start with the Bible. We're going to pray. Lord, I want to pray for those who are struggling under persecution. And particularly right now, I want to pray for Christians around the world who feel trapped or confined by their government or by the society. Lord, we pray that you would comfort them, that you would bless them, that you would give them peace and that you would show your power through them. And we especially want to pray for those who are literally trapped in prison or in labour camps, like in the story we heard earlier. For those who are confined and struggling and in difficult places. Our heart goes out to them and our heart goes out to you and we ask you to come and be with them. We think of them. And we ask Holy Spirit that you'll be very real and very present to your people around the world who are trapped today.